Welcome to Hillside Baptist Chapel's weekly Bible study. Please join Dr. Steve Wood every week where we can all collectively grasp a better understanding of God through His Word. This podcast will be published every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steverwood zero zero two at gmail dot com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to HBC Prayer List twenty twenty at gmail dot com. Good evening everyone. Welcome to our Wednesday evening podcast. First of all tonight I want to apologize for not being able to have a podcast last week. Uh, we just ran out of time. We had other things that were going on as you remember we had people in the hospital and other things going on so uh, we just didn't have time to get a podcast created but uh, tonight we're going to continue our study in the book of second corinthians and we'll be looking at chapter three tonight so if you'd like to get your bibles and uh, turn to second corinthians chapter three and we'll begin reading with the first verse there in just a moment we've been looking at the apostle paul and and uh, his life in this particular part of his dealings with the church at Corinth. And uh, you remember they were upset at him. But then we find that Titus had brought a good message from the church at Corinth to the Apostle Paul as uh, he was in Macedonia. And uh, this has been part of what we're seeing in the letter of 2 Corinthians. We're seeing him respond, as it were, to what he had heard from the Corinthian church by Titus. And uh, so tonight, he's going to be talking about the credentials of his ministry. You know, most of us have some kind of credentials. And part of that is to identify us, right? To let people know who we are. And they had the same thing in that day and time. Sometimes people would carry letters with them from one place to another to identify themselves. We know that the Apostle Paul did that prior to him becoming a believer. He was a non-believer and persecuting the church. And he had a letter of recommendation that he was carrying with him as he was on his way to Damascus. And he, remember, was struck down on the road to Damascus before he was able to use his letter of identification there in Damascus. But anyway, tonight we're going to be looking at his credentials in this particular time as he is the Apostle Paul. How does he identify himself? Well, this is what he's talking about. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by, every, by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. 
not on tables of stone, but on tables of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are com competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Father, thank you tonight for the opportunity that you've given us to be able to open your word and see the things that you're telling the church at Corinth. And telling us as well that we might benefit by the things that are spoken. That we might understand things that are needed in our lives, the lives of others, and how that we might be better representatives for you as we live on this earth. And I pray your blessings on this message and may it accomplish the things that your spirit intends. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You remember the Apostle Paul had spoken of the triumph of his ministry in chapter 2. Week before last we had looked at that. And now he deals with the accreditation of the ministry. His ministry. He will reach the heights of this chapter of talking about his relationship with the Corinthian church. And he's asking, do we need a letter of recommendation from my employer? Do I need a letter from God testifying that I'm his ministry, a minister, his apostle? And the apostle says here, no, I don't need to have that. And he gives the reasons in verses 2 and 3 that we read a moment ago. Traveling Christian evangelist in the first century, according to the custom of the day, carried letters of recommendation. I mentioned that a moment ago with uh, the Apostle Paul needing a letter going to Damascus prior to him becoming an apostle while he was persecuting the church. And so other individuals, whether they were apostles or whether they were uh, other individuals representing maybe the Sanhedrin, they would need letters to tell the uh, people that they were going to that they really were who they were saying they were. Now, with these, a preacher would be given at least a place to stay, a meal, and an opportunity to speak to the congregation. And apparently some of the false teachers had gained access to the Corinthian church with such letters. But instead of using their influence to further the cause of the gospel and the cause of Christ, these teachers had criticized the Apostle Paul's message and they were questioning his authority. Part of that criticism was that he lacked letters of recommendation as he came to them. Notice verse 1 again. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you from you. He was aware of the tactics that these opponents, these false apostles, these Judaizers were using. And he realized that he had been taking blows from them in his ministry. And they were trying to get other people to turn against him. His first question in verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? It suggests that he had commended himself before 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, you might look at that and, and see that yes, he was explaining his ministry. The Greek word commend here means to introduce. Thus, the apostle was asking the Corinthians if he needed to reintroduce himself as if they had never met him and prove himself once more to them. And the form of a, the question demands a negative answer. In verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes, For we are not like, or that's chapter 2 in verse 17, he says, For we are not like the many who market God's message for profit. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. He was asserting his integrity, his apostolic ministry, and answering the charge that had been waged against him that he was merely an egotistical bragger who delights in touting his accomplishments. And he was refuting that completely. This is not a new charge since previous statements by the apostle had evoked the same accusation. His stern letter that he talks about in his writings in which he defended himself and he is referring to that here. I don't think we would need to be reminded that the apostle had some things that he was accused of and he may not have always been completely free of pride but various attacks on him had forced him to defend his record as he does again in chapter 4 we'll see and then in chapter 6 of this same book 2 Corinthians had he not done so his leadership and his gospel would have been rejected. And the Corinthians, even more than he, would have been the losers. The second question in this verse is a has a parallel answer to the first. In dealing with the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul's work and love for them that they had known so well as he ministered among them surely didn't need a letter of recommendation. A letter that outsiders coming to the church certainly would need. Some that he talks about here. That's the many that he talked about in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 17, who seem to be the same as the false apostles that he's going to be talking about in chapter 11. And several verses there are going to be dealing with that. Evidently, these individuals did bring letters of recommendation. Now, whether these letters were authentic, maybe they were forged. This was, as I said, a common practice in that day and time. Letters written by important people, maybe individuals in the Jerusalem church or maybe individuals in the Sanhedrin. Some of these letters could have been obtained under false pretenses. Maybe these individuals who were coming to Corinth and discrediting the Apostle Paul had 
come from Jerusalem and they had told the church there that they wanted to go and, and bolster the ministry of the Apostle Paul and help him in his ministry there. We really don't know. But anyway, they had come to Corinth and they weren't helping. They were actually antagonistic toward the Apostle Paul. So being outsiders, these individuals needed some kind of introduction to the church there. Now the Apostle Paul didn't need that because he didn't come to them as a church. He started the church and he began to witness in Corinth and individuals responded. Individuals accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So this is why he is able to say that they are his letter. They're his testimony to the world about his ministry. It's a sad thing when a person measures his worth by what people say about him instead of by what God knows about him. It should be pointed out that the Apostle Paul had nothing against such letters and he wrote letters of recommendation at various times for those who served with him. Let me read one of those. It's found in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church at Caesarea. So you should welcome her in the Lord in the manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many, and of me also. Now there are others. We find in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he talks about this. And the Apostle Paul is explaining here why he doesn't need such a letter. Verse 2, notice he says, You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Instead of writing a letter of recommendation from the church at Corinth, his active and well-known activities among the church there was all the recommendation he needed. He was God's human instrument in converting the Corinthians and starting that congregation and everyone throughout the entire world knew how effective and fruitful his work was. This widespread favorable report means much more than a formal written recommendation that he could receive from anybody. Red here continues the comparison with a letter of recommendation. Actually, known and read means that others learned of his work by word of mouth and knew that the very existence of this Corinthian church and the vitality of this church were a high tribute to this apostle. Now notice the phrase written on our hearts. This expresses how deep and constant his love and concern for the Corinthians was. His tie with them, not formal or temporary, but personal, close, and marked by enduring love. The Corinthians have a deep and constant affection 
for the Apostle Paul as well. And he says that the Corinthian believers are a letter of recommendation. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. It has been written on their hearts. In the transformation which the Spirit of Christ had produced and which was plain for every individual to read. The difference Christ has made in them. And this is described in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 25. We're not going to take time to go there and read that, but where he contrasted the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. You remember that. And he sought no other commendation from the Corinthians or for his work there. No other is valid. There is a quality in the genuinely Christian life which nothing but the power of Jesus Christ can explain and what the Holy Spirit was doing. And this has been revealed to the Apostle Paul himself as he watched the dying Stephen, you remember, before, again, before he was even saved. And as Stephen had felt the peace of mind and the power of a forgiving spirit, his life at that point was a translation of the Gospel. Seen and read by Paul, or Saul as we know him then, and resulting, in part at least, in the Apostles' conversion, in him receiving Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And so, he was inseparably entwined with the Corinthian church. Their success was his. Their sorrows were also his. In this way, their lives of faith were etched in his heart and the hearts of his co-workers Silas and Timothy. Now notice verse 3. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now let's talk about that for just a moment. He develops that statement that he made in verse 2 by saying these words. It was our ministry, he says, by the Apostle Paul primarily, but he did have co-workers. And throughout this passage, it should be assumed that we and us refers primarily to the Apostle himself and not his helpers or the other Apostles, colleagues that he had. Here the word ministry refers to the time of the founding of this church when he started it. The word carries out the idea that Paul was the scribe who wrote down the letter and Christ is the one who dictated it and the one whose letter the church really is. Possibly the word includes the idea that the letter was delivered by Paul bringing that from God since he brought the gospel to the Corinthians. But before they were saved, the Corinthians were not Christians. And so were not a letter of Christ. 
Therefore, the meaning seems to be not that He brought the Gospel to their city, but in preaching and seeing them saved, He was the scribe or agent of Christ who was the author, authoring their lives. They're being born again. Their Christian faith and their position are not due to themselves, nor even to the Apostle Paul, but rather to God and the Holy Spirit as expressed in the fact that they were a letter of Christ written with the Spirit of the living God. They were a living document. The letter that the Apostle Paul writes, he's saying, is alive. Written by Christ Himself, a divine supernatural power through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And we could look at various verses of Scripture in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians and, and even in other places that convey that idea. But he contrasts the Corinthians not only with letters written with ink that can fade, but also with the mosaic tablets of stone containing the commandments, of course. That's part of his reference here. And he's referring to the Ten Commandments as the symbol of the entire law of God contained in the Scriptures. These tablets of stones were placed in the Ark of the Covenant, you remember. And even if the Israelites could read the two tablets, this experience would not change their lives. The law is an external thing. And people need an internal power if their lives are to be transformed. The legalist can admonish us to do this or don't do that, but they cannot give us the power to obey that law that's written. If we do obey, often it's not from the heart, but we end up worse than before. We're simply carrying out commands, not really taking anything to heart. The ministry of grace does not change the the ministry of grace does change the heart. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God and writes it on the heart of man. And the Corinthians, who had been wicked sinners when Paul came to them, were changed by the ministry of the gospel of God's grace, completely changing their lives. This is found in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. The imagery of writing on human hearts comes from the prophet Ezekiel. The Old Testament prophet had predicted that one day God Himself would remove Israel's heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, a heart that would follow God's decrees because God Himself had written His law on their fleshly hearts. Notice what Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27 tells us. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. And then in Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah speaks about this same thing in verse 33. He said, Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord declares, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God 
and they will be my people. The Apostle Paul was declaring to the Corinthians that the day Ezekiel and Jeremiah predicted had come. The Holy Spirit was writing God's law on their heart and changing them from the inside out. The new covenant which Ezekiel spoke about centuries ago was the gospel the Apostle Paul was giving. The idea of writing on human hearts goes beyond the comparison with a letter of recommendation that he had already mentioned. Now, in case the Corinthians, in the case of the Corinthians, uh, uh, Paul could say, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. The primary principle thing the Apostle Paul is talking about here is that they were indeed his recommendation. He didn't need anything else. Do you remember the phrase, you're the only gospel some people will ever read? You know a lot of people won't pick up the Bible. They won't look at God's Word. But they see you and they see me. And there's no other way in which multitudes around us are going to know about God. But for this to happen, it must be written on our hearts. The fact that every Christian life is except, is except a translation of the Gospel, a letter of Christ to be known and read by everyone, now, we have a responsibility as God's people of thinking about our actions, of thinking about our words, of thinking about who we represent and how these individuals are understanding our lives, who we are and what we are. The proof of the effectiveness of any ministry is whether or not it has the recommendation from God. He's not giving out letters of recommendation, but the proof lies in the letters that are written in the fleshly tab tablets of the heart. Now notice verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. The confidence the Apostle Paul is expressing refers primarily to conviction that he's just stated. Since he acted for Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he founded the church at Corinth. And the very existence and vitality of that church is his letter of recommendation. But this implies, as 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 suggest, that he is indeed sufficient and qualified for the apostolic ministry. Now these false apostles, these false teachers that had come into the Corinthian church were saying the very opposite of that, weren't they? To that thought, he now turns, but not to boast, but to simply state that it's through Christ. Through what Christ has done for him and through the assurance he has in the daily dependence on Christ that he can have 
the confidence that he has before the world. The grace of Christ helps him feel confident before God. Notice he says, before God. That is, in the presence of God. His confidence can withstand the scrutiny that the Lord has on his life. The scrutiny to be reliable. His confidence was founded not on human resources, not on a letter written by man, but on a divine letter from God. He was confident in the Corinthians because the Holy Spirit had worked in them. Their faith rested on the power of God. They say that the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Remember that? God put it like this. Psalm 34 verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Now lastly, let's look at verse 5. He says here, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. What the Apostle implies in verse 4, he now emphasizes emphatically in verse 5. We, this essentially means Paul here, are competent. That is, competent for the apostolic work that God had called him to do. But he says, not for ourselves, that is, not in our unaided human understanding and strength. We cannot consider or look upon anything in our Christian perception or our Christian confidence as coming for ourselves. Paul grasps the, and masters his apostolic task and finds no explanation in his human resources. It's not coming from him. And it's not coming from the things that he can provide. All the credit belongs to God. Just as in considering the origin of salvation. Paul freely confesses that everything is from God. Just as he has the knowledge that by God's grace I am what I am. He said that in 1 Corinthians 15.10. A forgiven sinner called to be an apostle. So here, in explaining his competence for his work, he must say our competence comes from God. He never said, see what I've done. He always said, to God be the glory. He never conceived of himself as adequate for any task. He thought of God as making him adequate. And that's precisely why as he looked at his own self as being weak and he never hesitated to see that he was inadequate, his competence came from God to do the 
work that God had set before him. And he never hesitated to set his hand to that task. He never had to do it alone. He did it with the Lord. I'm sure you've already sensed the weakness of the Apostle Paul and this epistle as he is talking about these things. He could say, So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, catastrophes, persecution, pressures, because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says that in chapter 12, verse 10, that we'll get to at some other time in our lessons. But that's a strong statement, isn't it? In himself, he was weak. But in God, he was strong. God is not looking for some big something or some big somebody. If he wanted that, he couldn't use me. And he probably couldn't use you. God chooses the weak things of the world, the little things and the insignificant things to accomplish His great purpose. Our sufficiency is found in God. Notice 1 Corinthians 1.27 again. God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. As we end this lesson tonight, think about what the Apostle Paul is saying here. It may be that there's some of you who have never, ever turned your thoughts to God and trusted in what Jesus Christ did on Calvary that you might have His salvation. Tonight, I encourage you to do that. Because it's not in your strength you're going to get to heaven. You need to see that you're too weak. You just can't do it. But God can save you. And it's only He who can. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Listen to the words of the closing of our message today to see the number that you can call or the email that you can write. Contact me. Let me talk with you. I would love to show you from the Scriptures. I don't ask you to take my word for it, but I ask you to take God at His word. And I want to show you what God says you must do that you might have eternal life. And thinking about the things the Apostle Paul said, we as His people need to understand that our strength to do His work, our strength to live the life He wants us to live, to be the influence before others that we need to be, only comes from Him. And He is able to help us be the testimony to the world that we need to be, that others might see Christ in us. Father, we thank You for the Word of God that we have to look at tonight and understand that we're inadequate, but You are all adequate. You're able to do all things, and we can depend on the strength that only You can give. 
I pray your blessings tonight on those that are listening. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stay tuned for a short weekly editorial with Face to Face with Dr. Fred. Good evening. I can do all things. Most of us have heard of a Renaissance man. The Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines the Renaissance man as a person who has wide interests and is expert in several areas. In other words, I can do all things. Now, my producer of this podcast, Frank Four, is an amazing man, and no doubt I put him as a Renaissance man. To tell you what he has done and what he can do would take a little bit of time, so I won't elaborate. But he is a Renaissance man. One of the finest books I have read this year, Love, Honor, and Obey, by Catherine Liu, she writes, Dick Matthews, a brilliant engineer with a Renaissance, with a Renaissance man's mind. Then she writes to prove her statement. However, I think Catherine Liu is a Renaissance woman. If you'd read this book, you'd understand why. The movies speak of the Renaissance-type people. I can do all things. My wife, Marlene, being Scottish, has always spoke of 007. (laughs) And children and teenagers of past and today, I can do all those things with Superman and Superwoman, comic books and computer games of characters, and they can do all things. It's around us constantly, that Renaissance man. My twin brother and I playing professional baseball our rookie year had an unusual experience. Now, we are not renaissance men at all but after a couple of months years ago the Dodger management decided that Frank who was a pitcher couldn't make professional baseball Frank was not a starting pitcher occasionally he would relieve a pitcher but it wasn't really sensational the Dodger mandate was If you, Frank, do not pitch an excellent game, then we must release you. You will be gone from the Dodgers. That's it. Before the game, Frank, who knew God had called him to preach the gospel, told me of what the Dodger management had said to him. I nearly had tears in my eyes when he told me this. But, Fred, he said, when I stand on the pitcher's mound and look out in center field at you, I was a center fielder, I want us at the same time to repeat Philippians 4.13, which is, 
I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Now, during that game, Frank would turn around on the pitcher's mound and look in center field. We both would repeat, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Then he'd turn around and begin to pitch. How many times during the game that he turned around, I do not remember. But I, it did not make any difference. What made the difference was two 20-year-old rookies in professional baseball doing what Jesus said in Matthew 18:19. Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. When that game was over, the other team's score was zero. That happened three times in a row. Three times the other team had zero. And then they knew that they had a man that was unusual. Why? Because he knew he could do all things through Christ, which strengthened me. You see, I can do all things, but without Christ, what can you do? But as God's men, it is always the completion of that statement, I can do all things. It says I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I know it seems life sometimes gets me down. And if you ask most folks, they'd tell you I am weak. Where some would have rain showers, in my life it's thunderstorms. And Murphy's Law is a rule of thumb for me. There are days I just can't find the strength to fight. And I feel the urge to just give up on life. But I found a source of power that gets me through those days. When times get tough, all I need to do is call on Jesus' name Cause I can do all things in Christ Who strengthens me He's my rock and my salvation And He's all I'll ever need And though I may have problems And some might call me weak I can do all things in Christ Who strengthens me can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steverwood002 at gmail.com. 
Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. Thank you, and God bless.